On a November evening in 1965, 31-year-old Norman Morrison positioned himself on a wall outside the Pentagon building in Washington, D.C. Without saying a word, he doused himself with kerosene, struck a match, and set himself on fire. The flames shot 12 feet in the air, witnesses said, forming a fiery envelope around his body. What made it all the more terrifying and incomprehensible was the fact that Morrison held in his arms his own baby daughter, Emily, just shy of a year old. Employees rushed out of the building. Commuters jumped out of their cars, shouting, throw her down, drop the baby. Norman Morrison was a Quaker and a pacifist. And for years, he had been troubled by the war in Vietnam, wondering what would make it stop. Well, that morning, Morrison read a magazine report of a village that had been bombed. And the fiery images of destruction were, were just too much for him. He borrowed a friend's car, put Emily in the car seat and a gallon jug of kerosene in the truck, and made the drive from Baltimore to D.C. On the way, he stopped to mail a letter to his wife, which read, Dear Anne, this morning I was shown clearly what I must do. Know that I love thee, but must act for the children of the village. And then he added, And like Abraham, I dare not go without Emily. Drop the baby, they cried. Throw her down. And at the last possible minute, he did. In his final act, the father reached out from the flames and set his daughter aside, out of harm's way. Morrison died. That night, the police placed Emily in the arms of her mother. She was unharmed, but still smelling of smoke. And like Abraham, I dare not go without Emily. Now, I begin with that story because it brings to our minds one of the most dramatic and unsettling stories in the scripture, the near sacrifice of Isaac by his father Abraham on top of Mount Moriah. Now, for the past two months, we've been exploring the roots of our faith by revisiting the opening chapters of Genesis, the book of beginnings. As we look to the future of our church and of our world, we are rediscovering God's founding vision for humankind and the world, and the part that we're meant to play in fulfilling that vision. So far, we've considered the beginning of everything, the beginning of humankind, the beginning of sin, death, and grace, the beginning of mission, the beginning of sexuality, marriage, and friendship. And then last week, we looked at the beginning of faith by looking at a couple named Abram and Sarai. And we learned what it means to be invited into a personal relationship with God. Well, today we're going to conclude our series by exploring the beginnings of the gospel. And by gospel, we mean the good news of new and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to discover today is that the seeds of that gospel were planted thousands of years before Jesus ever appeared on the scene. So let's turn one more time to this book of beginnings, to Genesis chapter 22, 
and revisit one of the most significant religious events in human history. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all look to Abraham offering up his son as the supreme expression of faith. But as Norman Morrison's story illustrates, it's also a story that raises all kinds of questions. Would God really ask someone to sacrifice their own child? How could a loving parent consider such an action and come so close to doing it? Should we admire such faith or be appalled by it? And what does this ancient story mean for our lives and faith today? Well, let's walk through the story, trying to feel its drama and challenge, and then we'll try to find some wisdom for our lives and church in a season of new beginnings. Let's begin. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Some time later, the story begins. Now, we haven't had time to consider all the things that have happened to Abraham and Sarah on their journey to this point. As we learned last week, they have on more than one occasion displayed faith leaving their homeland, moving to Canaan, setting up altars, and trusting God for their promised child and descendants. But they've also made some faithless decisions along the way. Lying twice about Sarah being his sister. Conspiring to have a child by Sarah's maidservant instead of waiting on God. Both decisions led to unfortunate consequences for themselves and others. But after walking with God for over three decades, they've grown in their faith. And they have finally received their long-awaited son and heir, Isaac. For the first time, their future and the promises of God look secure. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, that word tested carries the meaning of, of proved uh, when a good teacher gives a test, their expectation is that students will pass the test, proving that they've mastered the material, they're ready to move on to the next grade. God's purpose here wasn't to trip up Abraham, but to prove or confirm his faith. And so a dozen or so years after Isaac was born, Abraham hears that voice again. Abraham, here I am, he answers, ready and willing. And then the voice asks him to do the unthinkable. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. We have to understand that, that this command would, wouldn't have sounded as shocking to Abraham as it does to us. Child sacrifice was a common practice among ancient people, an acceptable way of honoring the gods and, and guaranteeing a fruitful harvest or many children. And remember, too, that, that God hadn't yet given the law that would forbid child sacrifice. So culturally, theologically, 
It, it wouldn't have sounded as, as abhorrent as it does to us today. But on a personal level, the command to sacrifice his son had to have been as difficult for Abraham as it would be for any modern parent. It wasn't just that he he loved Isaac as any good father would. Isaac was the child of promise. They'd waited 25 years for him. He was the embodiment of everything they believed about God. All their hopes and dreams rested on that boy. God knew what he was asking of Abraham. You can almost hear the sympathy in God's words. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. A burnt offering was was an expression of total surrender to God. Uh, The worshiper would take something of value, an animal, a measure of grain, and place it on the altar where it would be totally consumed by fire, offered entirely up to God, nothing held back. That's what God was asking Abraham to do with his greatest treasure and hope. Now, we should pause here for just a moment and and consider what it might sound like for God to make a similar request of us, asking us to offer one of our dreams or treasures up to God. God might say, take your career, your carefully laid out career, and offer it up to me. Take your possessions, your hard-earned wealth and security. Take your dreams of marriage or children or legacy. Take your long-awaited retirement. Take it and offer it up to me. How ready are we to take our our greatest dreams, our hopes and ambitions, and offer them up to God and his purposes? Well, in in earlier days, Abraham would likely have balked at such a command. More than once, he has schemed and negotiated and taken matters into his own hands rather than trusting them to God. But Abraham has come a long way in his relationship with God. So we're told that early the next next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Notice how deliberately he performs the chores. Chores he surely could have assigned to his servant. But he does them himself, as as if he's accepting responsibility for this thing. And the scripture is remarkably intimate in its description of this trip they take. Twice, we're told, and the two of them went on together. As, As I try to imagine what that journey must have been like, I find myself thinking of, of a trip my father and I took when he drove me a thousand miles across the country for my freshman year of college. I was the oldest child, so the first one to go away from home. I can recall almost every detail of that trip, the, the, the fast food restaurants we stopped at, the Fleabag Hotel in Ohio. 
We talked some, as, as I remember. Mostly what we did was look out the window and ride quietly. But it, it was one of my closest experiences with my father. I remember sitting in the dorm room just before he left, each of us looking the other way to hide the tears that kept coming to our eyes. We both understood something significant was happening, but we couldn't quite describe it, and we didn't know how to talk about it. And so it must have been for Abraham and Isaac as they traveled toward that mountain. Not much talking, but intimacy beyond words. I wonder how many times Abraham must have looked away, blinking back the tears. And Isaac was no child anymore. He certainly sensed that something significant was happening. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Did he really believe that? That both of them would return? Or, or was he just covering up uh, the way a soldier tells his dying comrade he's going to be okay? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Can you hear the, the tenderness of this exchange? Prompted by curiosity or dread, the boy finally asks, The fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And now we begin to understand what's happening in Abraham's heart. That expression, God will provide, could literally be translated, God will see to it. It seems that after all he's been through with God, Abraham has come to believe that God will come through again. Somehow, some way, God will see to it that Abraham and his son walk back down that mountain together. Maybe God will change his mind and call off the plan. Maybe God will provide some other sacrifice. But if not, even if he has to go through with it and sacrifice his son, Abraham has come to believe that God could and would raise his son back to life again. Every week in this series, we've, we've discovered that the New Testament helps us understand what, what was really happening in all these beginnings. <laughs> and the book of Hebrews tells us here, chapter 11, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. By faith, Abraham. Now, we talked about that word last week. Faith is simply confidence in God, leaning your whole weight on his character and promises. By faith, Abraham reasoned. He reckoned. 
the, the word there is actually an accounting term that means to calculate. Based on all that he's been through, Abraham has come to a place where he has such confidence in God that he's willing to trust God with his greatest treasure, his only son. The story goes on. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now keep in mind, Isaac is at least 12 years old by now. He understands what's happening, but apparently offers no resistance. In Jewish tradition, this story is known as the binding of Isaac because of his willingness to be offered as a sacrifice. He's considered the archetypal sacrifice upon which all other sacrifices have meaning in God's eyes. Now, Isaac hasn't had the same faith experiences with God that Abraham has had, but he's certainly having one now. Then he reached out his hand to take the knife and slay his son. Now, in my imagination, Abraham hesitates here, his arm raised, giving God one last chance to deliver them from this moment. Yes, God is testing Abraham, but Abraham, in a sense, is testing God. And then, at the last moment, he hears that voice again. But the angel of the Lord called out, Abraham, Abraham. A commentator points out that, that whenever a name is repeated in Scripture, it always indicates deep affection. Absalom, Absalom, cries David when his son dies. Martha, Martha, says Jesus to the woman who serves him. Abraham, Abraham, says God to his friend. Here I am, Abraham replies. How quickly do you think he answered? Don't lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now the Hebrew word translated fear here doesn't imply terror or dread. It's the fear that accompanies reverence, respect, Awe. It's the fear a climber has for Mount Everest, a fear that draws him in, draws him up. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. And just as Abraham had predicted, after worshiping on that mountain, he and Isaac returned to the servants. And if you think father and son were close on their way up the mountain, imagine how close they felt on the way down. Not just intimacy with each other, but with the God who had come through, saving them both from a terrible fate. And in response to Abraham's faith, the Lord reaffirms his promise and his purpose. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, 
that because you have done this and have not withheld from me your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because you have done this, God says. It's the language of partnership. So so it's not just a personal relationship God invites Abraham and us into. It's a purposeful relationship through which we and God partner to bring good to the whole world. So so that's the story. As, as, As compelling and unsettling today as it ever was. But but, but what does this ancient beginning mean for the new beginnings in our lives, in our church, in our world? Well, we're told right up front that, that this is a test. But a test of what? Of love? That's how it's often interpreted. That that God wanted to find out who Abraham loved more, him or Isaac. So he asked him to sacrifice his son. Now that's a terrifying and wrong-headed thought. Too many people have walked away from this story, afraid that if you love your child too much, or your spouse, or your parent, or anyone, that God might take that person away from you. I've known people who've been afraid to get close to God because they're afraid he might ask something like this of them. But but that misses what this passage in Abraham's journey is all about. This wasn't a test of love. Abraham loved God. We've seen that. He's built altars to God all over Canaan. They took walks together. They had long and searching talks with each other. The Bible calls Abraham God's friend. The question wasn't whether Abraham loved God. It was whether Abraham trusted God. Did he believe that God could still bless him? still make him the father of many nations, even if he surrendered his only son into God's hands? Would he trust God with his greatest treasure? Or would he hold back? Would he take matters into his own hands as he'd done before? It wasn't a test of love. It was a test of faith. Would Abraham trust his future to God? And that's where this story intersects our lives. It's not asking if you love your child or spouse or friend too much. You're supposed to love them with a fierce and loyal love. It's not a question of love. It's a question of trust. Are you prepared to trust God with your greatest treasures, with your hopes and dreams? Are you prepared to take your career, your finances, your your relationships, your church, and and put them on the altar, making them available to God and his purposes. Understand, God is not in the business of taking children away from parents or pulling the rug out from under our dreams. He's in the business of partnership, wanting us to do life with him in a way that's good for us and for the world. And when we place our treasures, when we place our careers and our finances and relationships in his hands, he can do something with them, something that blesses us and blesses the world around us. The same is true of our our fears and failures and disappointments. If we offer them to God, if we place them in his hands, he will see to it that something good will come out of them.
that, that we can come down the mountain with thanksgiving in our hearts, feeling closer to God and each other than we ever imagined. It's not a question of love, but a question of faith. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac, Scripture tells us. And faith is simply confidence in God. Abraham was confident that God was going to do something on that mountain. He didn't know what or when or how, but he knew it would be right and good and eternally significant. So that's the question this story asks of us in this season of new beginnings. Will we trust God with our future, with our lives, with our church, and ultimately with our very souls? But, but we dare not leave this story. We dare not end this series without recognizing that something bigger is going on here. Something bigger than an earthly father nearly giving up his son to death. Something is being foreshadowed here. Something that Abraham anticipated by faith, even though he couldn't possibly have imagined or understood it at the time. Each week in this series, we've seen how these ancient beginnings were setting in motion God's ultimate vision and purpose for all things. And how what was begun long ago would find its fulfillment in the New Testament, and in particular in the person and work of Christ. And it happens once again in the story of Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac. Because now we know that thousands of years later, on a hill not far from this one, a greater father would offer a greater son as a sacrifice. Only this time, when an arm was raised to deal a deadly blow, there would be no voice from heaven to stop the hand. This time, when the father looked down, there would be no substitute to take the son's place. This time, when the son chose not to resist the binding, it would be so he might suffer and die for all that was broken in the world and in the human heart. And on that day, young Isaac's question would finally be answered. Father, where is the lamb for the offering? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was and is the lamb, who by his death and resurrection saves us from sin and its consequences, so we can be restored to relationship with God and to partnership in his grand vision for all of creation. This was the beginning of the gospel, the good news that wouldn't be fully revealed for thousands of years, that flawed and fallen people like Abraham and Sarah, like you and me, can find new and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So what we're learning in this final Sunday in the series is that from the beginning, God was preparing to restore our broken relationships with God and each other through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. All of these beginnings, all of the Old Testament, point to and find their fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the life of faith begins when we decide to trust God 
with every aspect of our lives. The sins and failures and hurts of our past, our present challenges and opportunities, our hopes and dreams for the future, our whole lives offered up to God, placed in His hands for our good, for the good of the world. Across our campuses today, a dozen or so people will be declaring their faith in Christ by being baptized, including someone from our online community. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be immersing their whole selves into the water, symbolically surrendering their whole lives to God, and then will be raised out of the water, symbolically rising to new life in Christ, to a new beginning. If you have never made that decision to trust God with your whole life, if you'd like to know more about this gospel of Jesus Christ, we'd love to help you with that. Please reach out to Pastor John or to me. If you have made that decision, let me encourage you today to trust God with whatever fear or dream or challenge or opportunity is on your heart right now. Name it. Offer it up to him by faith. Because today in this dramatic story, we meet a God who can be trusted with our greatest treasures and our greatest fears. Let's take a moment and just pray about these things together. As we bow our heads, why don't you take a moment right now and name whatever challenge or opportunity or dream or fear is on your heart today and offer it up to God. You might want to open your palms heavenward or imagine yourself lifting them up, placing them on an altar. Take a moment and do that. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today speaking to us through this powerful, ancient story. Thank you for sending your Son into the world, for giving him up for us so we can be forgiven and free to follow him into new and eternal life. Take the things we've offered you today, Lord, and do something good with them, something good for us, good for the world, something that brings you glory. Bless us in this season of new beginnings. In Jesus' name, amen.